Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram since I don't tweet Aaron underscore Dugan. I should start tweeting. Interact with her on Twitter so that she starts tweeting more. Please motivate me, yes. Give me all your retweets, none of your likes. Uh, Rate, review, and subscribe. Please tell everybody about the show. That's how we share and grow this thing and uh, have some fun talking SEC football or this week's case, lack thereof. True story, Aaron. Womp womp. True story. We are taping on Tuesday afternoon like we normally do every single week. And we got done literally with about an hour of the show. We tape about an hour-long podcast, and we trim it down a little bit. Got we literally got done. I hit stop record. I hit stop recording. That's a button on the computer. And then what happened? And you look up at your, you pick up your phone, and you're like, "Oh shit!" I said, uh, "Oh." So I didn't know how he was going to take it. The news, of course, literally the second after we get done recording our podcast is that Texas A&M and Tennessee's game has been postponed due to an outbreak in College Station with Texas A&M, that the LSU-Alabama game has been postponed. By the way, we are set to talk with Scott Rabelais of the Baton Rouge Advocate and Cecil Hurt of the Tuscaloosa News. I conducted both of those interviews knowing that this could happen, (laughs) so you're actually going to hear a lot more about Coach O and his relationship with the fans at LSU how good is Alabama's defense? Can they stop Florida? So there's, it's not about the LSU-Alabama game, actually. Good but, foresight. But you're going to hear from both of those guys coming up on the show today. And, of course, Mississippi State and Auburn was already canceled on Monday. So here we are. Can I ask a question? Back again, retaping the podcast. Who is playing? Uh, your alma mater is playing, I believe. Yeah, I knew that one. Vanderbilt's playing at Kentucky for now. For now. For now. Georgia's at Missouri for now. Although it doesn't seem like there's any problems there. Arkansas is still playing at Florida, but their head coach has COVID too, on top of the three games that have been Poor canceled. Sam. And and true story, Aaron, we finished this, we did this entire episode, and like the last five minutes of the show were COVID related. And we were like, oh, let's just put it at the end. We don't want to bring people down. Right. Now it's the front of the podcast. We're leading with the Rona. I, I don't know what your reaction is to this. I, I think there is some interesting there are some interesting things to consider from an LSU Alabama perspective. First of all, this week, it just it sucks that this is not going to happen and that these two teams are not competitive. That just sucks. Number one, right? Yeah, and it would have. Yeah, that that sucks regardless because we everyone looks forward to this game. It's in Death Valley, which, in my humble opinion, feels like the more exciting place for that matchup. I don't know why. Maybe because I've been to that game. No, I agree. It's awesome. And yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be have a gold star on it on your calendar. Yep. And 24-point spread anyway, you know, as the players, as the roster got depleted further and further, this game got even more out of hand on the scoreboard paper, on the paper scoreboard. Um, and so you know, my, my first response, my first reaction is there's a chance that the LSU-Alabama game may just not get played at all because the SEC may not need it to happen. If we get to the end of the year and Alabama is 9-0, and LSU can't play on the December on December 12th because they've already rescheduled the Florida game. There's a chance that if, if Alabama's undefeated, they may not need the LSU game, and that tells you all you need to know about how far LSU has fallen. And they definitely won't want to play it if they are in a situation that probably involves a potential you know, run at the national championship. You're not playing for no reason, and they're not the, they're not the reason that they can't play on the 12th. Yeah, the only, re- the only reason I could see the SEC, and this goes for Florida as well, and you'll hear Cecil Hurt talk about this, the only reason that either any team could be forced to play a game is if it has to be played to figure out who wins a division. 
Yes. If Alabama and Florida have already clinched divisions, why are they going to play extra football games? I mean, besides money. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just looking at you like, I can... Besides that... Which we can't really say besides that. Now, can we, Braden? No, and that's no, you're right. Why? I, I could see them. Well, but they don't have a, right now they don't have a date for the LSU. There's not an it's open true. date. It's true. There are some so. things going in favor of maybe those games not having to be played. However, let's keep in mind that we're only playing period because of money. Yeah, well, yes, that's, you're absolutely correct. It's just crazy to think that we could get to the end of a college football season and, the, and people look at the LSU Alabama and game. And say it doesn't matter. And go, ah, it doesn't matter. That that is insane. That's where we are in 2020. Um, Texas A&M. Listen, you know we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how impressive they were against South Carolina. I, I think the real issue with Texas A&M this weekend is the Notre Dame game actually over Clemson last weekend. Unfortunately, if you're a Tennessee fan, you're probably happy about this. You're probably fine that there is no game this weekend, and you, that you're not going to get embarrassed for the fifth consecutive week in a row. And so Tennessee, major quarterback issues, all this stuff going on with Jeremy Pruitt. Great balance from Texas A&M against South Carolina and, I don't know, a stay of execution for Tennessee. Are you happy about this if you're a Tennessee fan? I think I would be. I don't think you're happy about the overall situation that you're in. No, I'm not happy people have COVID. But you're so exhausted. <laughs> no, 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 not COVID, but just the, the year you've had. Yeah. You're ex- so exhausted that maybe you need a bye week from watching your team get killed. Kicked in the teeth. Fans have never needed a bye week as much as Tennessee fans need one right now. And it could hurt Texas A&M because they're fighting for a potential playoff spot, but they need beauty points. They, they do. They need to look good every week, and they have since the Florida game. And this is this this hurts their chances of getting into the playoff if this game doesn't. Now, right now, A&M and Tennessee can reschedule and play again, potentially. But if they don't get to play that game for some reason, because, again— all of this is fluid, and we all need to be flexible, and we all need to understand that a lot more games could get canceled. This is a big question mark for AM if I'm an Aggie fan going, hey, give us an at-large bid into the playoff. They they do need it, and beating teams in a very um, – what the word am I like? Impressive. In a very impressive fashion helps you. And they're just – they're putting – they're starting to dot their I's, cross their T's. They're getting things together. They look good in balance, like you said, on offense, playing really well up front. They are, you know, their defense is pulling things together. They're doing great on third down. Like, they just – everything's kind of coming – they already looked good, but everything's kind of just making sense and falling into place now. So if you're them, I don't – you don't want to lose that momentum and you want to beat Tennessee and you want to really beat Tennessee. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, again, that one still could happen. The LSU Alabama game may not Auburn and Mississippi state also canceled, you know, uh, you know, Mississippi state coming off a win finally for them uh, against Vanderbilt last weekend. And I, you know, this one doesn't really have a lot of import to me. I know Auburn fans want to evaluate Bo Nix. They want to evaluate Gus Malzahn and going on the road and beating Mississippi State is an important thing to do. But I, I just this game didn't have a lot of merit, didn't have a lot of weight. I know Auburn's ranked, but it just th- this one is sort of the afterthought. If I'm looking at the three, this is the one where I'm going, oh, okay, I don't know who's going to miss. I mean, Mississippi State and, and Auburn fans will miss it, but nationally, it doesn't have a lot of merit the way Alabama and A and M are playing for playoff spots. No, and doesn't have the you know the repercussions and the potential effect on a playoff scenario. Yeah, no no question about that. So what a wonderful way to start the podcast, Aaron. Just redoing the entire show and getting to talk about COVID. Isn't it the best? Is everyone hype? Oh, it's so much fun. 
It's the, the best. The only thing that's hyping me up is there's a guy that looks like Santa that's riding. Are you talking about Gary? <laughs> He's just riding. Why are you talking Brayden about Gary? He has a studio in his house. It's yeah. Pretty cool setup. But there's just a guy that looks like Santa in an all black tracksuit that's just going back and forth in front of the house. Like he couldn't be going more than a block. No, he lives next door, like 50 feet away. Why doesn't he like take a stroll? Listen, Gary is a little older and he's just getting his workout in. Leave Gary alone. Just because you're angry about the Rona doesn't mean you need to take it out on Gary. Okay. I want whatever. I want to do whatever Gary does because he seems to have some free time. (laughs) I like Gary. He likes whiskey and he likes rock and roll. Since this conversation started, he's already done it six times. Okay. Settle down back there. All right. Let's get to Florida and Georgia. Huge cocktail party. Huge game. Aaron, with what took place last weekend, which is, of course, the SEC East has sort of been decided if things can progress and and Florida and Georgia hold serve, the Florida Gators handled their business against Georgia. I I mean, I don't want to say with relative ease, but it was not hard at all. They put up huge numbers. Kyle Trask, now the only SEC quarterback ever in history, which includes a bunch of Heisman Trophy winners, to have four touchdown passes in five consecutive games. They had, I think it was, what, 38 points at halftime. I mean, just an insane performance from Florida's offense. And unfortunately, Aaron, like, if you listen to this show last week, really wasn't all that surprising. And it's one of those moments where all the things we thought, they were actually the case. They were real. They actually happened. Yeah, not only just on that surface level. I mean, you've had Florida this whole time, and I kind of jumped ship, at least on this game. You jumped ship at the week. right jump ship at the right time. Right. Well, and also that whole discussion we had about are you better off being really put together on defense at the beginning and trying to find your offensive footing or is it better the other way and we both kind of talked about the discussion of it is we think it might be better the other way your defense needs reps just needs time and you have this explosive offense if you're Florida well your defense really found its footing against you know a really obviously very good Georgia team so it just seems like things are really coming together and they look like a pretty I don't want to say an unstoppable force because I think there are better teams than Florida in the country but I think they're pretty high up there and maybe even higher than we thought I, I had them at four in the country last week coming into the game so I have them at four in the country this week after winning the game And you kind of have to have the context, right? I think they're the fourth best team in America, but I thought that last week, which is why I picked them to beat Georgia. Turns out that was right. We're wrong all the time that there's, you know, how many games have we been wrong about on the show all the time. Um, But I don't think, I think your point about trying to develop an offense in 2020 versus developing your defense is totally valid. You can see Florida getting better on that side of the football. And I don't want to... It, it again. It's it, this is like the fifth show in a row where you have to harp on Stetson Bennett, but like it, it doesn't. If JT Daniels and this, this goes for. We're going to talk about Tennessee in a little while too. Jared Garantano is clearly the best option on the on the Tennessee roster. It, it has to be the fact that Stetson Bennett is clearly the best option for the Georgia Bulldogs because if he wasn't, there was another option. They would have gone to him by now. So it, I don't know how you develop an offense in the middle of of this season. I don't think you can. I keep coming back to that, which is. There's something I don't know because this is happening the way that it's happening. He's got to be the best option. Okay. Wait. That makes sense. No, that makes sense. Did I just? No, that makes sense. At first, I didn't follow you, and that makes sense now. Okay. Yeah, it does. I feel like you're lying. No, not at all. He actually, you would never lie about me saying the wrong thing. No, I would tell the truth. One hundred percent. In fact, I may be many things: Uh, an asshole, 
loud and obnoxious, annoying, yep, but I yep, do yep. not I do not lie about anything. Probably to a fault, actually. Just uh, weird wording for you on that? Yeah, I, I didn't know where you were going, and then I was like, oh, the plane landed. Okay, I might it. not have known where I was going either, but here we landed. <laughs> well, this does, like, there's not a lot of questions about Florida other than do you think they can do this against Alabama? Like, that's really mm. the only question left for Florida. Yeah. Is, is there, they are, by all accounts, now going to be in Atlanta if they, if they do what they're supposed to do over the next few games. They get to Atlanta, and Alabama does what it's supposed to do, and they play each other in Atlanta for the SEC championship and a right to go to the playoff. The only real question with Florida is, are you good enough on offense to do what you did to Georgia? Pretty salty on defense. And then on the other side of the ball, can you hang? And, and actually, we'll we'll talk with Cecil Hurd a little bit about that coming up in just a minute. But I feel like if you could – I at one point if you'd asked me that at the beginning of the season I would not have thought it was realistic but now seeing the way things coming together like, do I think it will happen do I think it's probable no I do think it's possible I think you'd have to probably I think Alabama would have to make some mistakes you have to cause wreak some havoc on defense and you know maybe capitalize on some mistakes but I don't think it's out of the question and I at one point at the beginning of the season, I would not have really even yeah. sat here and thought about it. No, even as someone who picked Florida to win the East, I would not have picked them to beat Alabama. Like, obviously, we were, I was picking Alabama. I do think what's interesting about the matchup, I do think Florida could beat them. Alabama, that is, in Atlanta. I think they have the weaponry. Kyle Pitts is a disgusting matchup nightmare if he's back on the field, of course. I, I think the issue is, stylistically, Alabama is built in a way that they can kind of play any game that you want them to. So if Florida wants to play spread it out and go fast and run, 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 we can do that. We can do that. If they want to slow it down, muck it up, play between the tackles, Alabama can do that. I think Alabama can do all of those things, whereas I think Florida may be a, like they want to spread it out. They want to throw the ball around. They want it to be Kyle Trask. I don't think their true running game on third and two in the fourth quarter when you have to have it, I don't, trust Florida in that department as much as I trust Alabama to be able to demoralize you with a, a ground game if that's the style of matchup that that game becomes. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, like mul there's Alabama's multidimensional in the sense that they can kind of just show up however they need to. And yeah. Is that from, that's, I guess, both from a, I wonder if that, I guess that's mostly to do with talent, but how do you, well, how do you prep that? You know what I mean? It's like, not, it, it is talent. Because Alabama has more talent than Florida. Right. But it's also where that talent is and what your scheme is built around. Yeah. And Dan Mullen's scheme, while they like to run the ball, mm -hmm. it's not like they're not going to line up and choreograph exactly where they're going and then say, try to stop us. Right. Alabama can do that. Right. Alabama can be like, all right, Najee Harris is getting the ball off left tackle. See what you can do, boys. Mm -hmm. and, and still pick up yards. And I don't yeah. think Florida can do that right now. Yeah. It doesn't. Again, we're... we're, we're these are great teams and we're nitpicking great teams. Right. right. Yeah, you can put it out on put it out in the world and know that the other team's gonna know what you're doing and yeah. still be able to do it. You're kind of just existing in a different universe, but it is the most demoralizing thing in all of sports. <laughs> when the de when the defense knows exactly what's coming in football and they still can't stop you. When that is the I think that's the most demoralizing thing. Like you like when you you know how it is when you're a fan and you're sitting there watching your team, and you know your team is there. You know this that your opponent is about to run the football down your throat. You know the coaches know that. Your the fans know that. Your defensive players know that. Everyone in the world knows, and you still can't stop it. I just think that's that's next level demoralization. Can't feel good. 
Georgia, do you have any more comments about Florida? There's some more things I want to get to with the game itself, but with Georgia, my question is just is this is very simple and very broad and it doesn't have an answer, but it's the only thing I keep thinking about with Georgia. And that is do we believe that Kirby Smart can evolve this offense over time? I do not think he is the I don't think it was his fault that Jamie Newman opted out. I don't think it's his fault that JT Daniels' knee is not healthy. I don't think it's his fault that that they are where they are right now. It, you know, bigger picture. Alabama and Nick Saban evolved. We're seeing Florida evolve. Miami, of all teams, is now going from stubborn offense to spread it all out and throw it all over the place offense. LSU did not evolve, and it got Les Miles fired. Coach O showed that he was willing to evolve, and it got Joe Burrow to Baton Rouge. Is there any reason to believe that Kirby Smart is incapable of evolving the way Les Miles was? No, I don't think so. Um, They have – they're so strong. They're such a good team already. And when you have the defensive backbone that they have, and you did have, you've had a really good season given the circumstances. I mean, I know, you know, you wanted to be number one in the East and you know, they want to beat Florida. But when we're talking about that from a recruiting perspective, there's no reason as, you know, a kid trying to sign on, figure out where they're going to go to school and they're good enough to go, why Georgia wouldn't seem like still seem like a good pick. So I feel like from a recruiting perspective makes sense because you're still going to gain traction with, you know, the attractiveness that your program's putting out there. I don't know. I don't know if there are enough weapons for Georgia or have I just not seen them utilized in the right way because of the quarterback Mm. situation. I think that's a great question. And I think my answer to the question is I have no concerns about Kirby smart evolving. As a coach, no. Yeah, I think he was a victim of his own success in the first couple of years. They got super, you know, productive national championship caliber teams. And they recruited, he recruited Justin Fields. So it's not like he, I mean, he's already shown us literally that he can recruit that dual threat guy. Now, did he make, you know, Georgia fans will, you know, the, the Fields thing has been beaten to death. So there's no point in us talking about Fields versus Fromm. So I think it can be done. My question is, is Todd Munkin the right coach? I don't think he's the right guy for that job, the offensive coordinator at Georgia, but that's not something you're going to solve this year. Like, that's not a thing that, you know, it's his first year Colin, Colin plays. I Give him another offseason, and, and then we'll see what it looks like next year. So, and a normal offseason, maybe. Right, right. Uh, exactly. I know you want to talk about a couple of questionable plays. Yes, you want to start targeting? Let's start there. My first instinct, my first instinct with this play, the targeting play with scene was anger. And I think because my initial response, there that helmet on helmet sound does something to me and takes me to a weird place because well, I've we've all seen it. I've seen it especially when you're on the field and hearing it. It it sounds loud on TV. I promise you it sounds real loud on the field, too. It's different. You can hear. It's, it's different on the field. And it. It's a car wreck. It grosses me. It, it's gross to me. I get this nauseous feeling. Like, Braden's holding his arm like up I'm, like he has chills. I'm not even kidding. Like, the hairs are standing up on the back of my neck and my arms. Because it is a car. If you've ever been on the sidelines of an NFL or SEC football game, they, these are car wrecks. And that was one of the worst I've seen. I do not think it was a dirty hit. I don't think Scene was trying to go in there and like be dirty. I think it was two guys that were flying at each other at full speed, and they both kind of ducked to protect themselves. It is the hit we are trying to legislate out of the game. And unfortunately, it happened to a really good player for Georgia and a really, really good player for Florida. And there are longstanding repercussions 
for one of those, definitely for two of those, and all the way up. But you don't need five bad concussions to have long-term yeah. effects. And that was hard enough to that that might show up later. I hate to say that for them. Well, there's no way to know. There's it, no way it, to know. But, but it's, it's possible. It was one of the worst... If you're saying it's one of the worst you've seen, it's one of the worst I've seen. It's up there. Um, I don't, upon looking at it again, I'm with you that I don't think it was done with malicious intent. Do I think that he had time to maybe hit lower? Yes. I also don't know if he could see from his perspective that Kyle Pitts was lowering his head. But I guess maybe hopefully in the future you these guys learn to overcorrect to overcompensate and that's what they're trying to do but it you know in the meantime that was that was a costly play yeah and and hopefully we see Kyle Pitts back on the field soon obviously you know his his ability to play for Florida is a big part of how far this team will go that's how special he really is Uh, I just thought you know again I'm not trying to get back into Trask but Trask was so great on the wheel routes and I mean just he was in complete control I think he and Mac Jones are the best two quarterbacks in this league. I think they're going to play in the SEC championship game. So, uh, lastly, though, you had some comments about the another big hit and an injury in in the Florida Georgia game. Yes, I want to talk about the Rosemie Jack Saint injury again. We don't. I don't know if I'm saying that totally correctly, but this was a. If anyone saw it, it's pretty gruesome. He fractures his – I think fracture sounds like an understatement. That's what I read. But his ankle is, like, flailing. Yeah, it's, it's – the foot's pointed in the wrong direction. It's pointed in the wrong direction. Yeah, it bad. kind of flops. It's pretty bad. This, if you were watching this game, was replayed a lot. It was replayed several times. Uh, his ankle just – his leg flails, basically. So yeah. one of the two of them even made a comment about it after it was replayed, like, I don't know if we need to see that again or something to that extent. Oh, either Gary or or um, Brad was in the booth saying, because I don't remember the play either. I mean, I remember, I remember seeing it. I don't remember exactly what was said, but even one of them said openly, I, I don't think we should play this I again. I didn't hear that until yeah, I was talking to someone after the game and I brought up that it was replayed too much. And they said, oh, yeah, I even heard someone on TV say that. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to go. We'll go back and check that officially yeah, to see who said double that. Double check. Because I do think it's an interesting, you're bringing up an interesting point about what do you show on television. Here's why. Because we have discussions when we would do, you know, SEC network conferences or whatever it is. We have these discussions, literally sit down in an auditorium, all of us together, all our production teams, put something up on the screen. Should we replay this or should we not? Why? And we'll all sit there and talk about it. Well, what we net out on is if it moves the story forward and you need to see it, either there's a something malicious about it, there's potential bad call, there is something that changes the trajectory of the game or the story, yes. If you are replaying a gruesome injury over and over for shock value, it's really not in production ethics to do that and I don't necessarily think that this injury was progressing the story forward I think we were just watching his leg flail over and over and I it's not something that's like you're a horrible person because you replayed this over and over as the producer but just to make you know it's not what you would have done if you were in charge it's not it's not what I would have done because I don't think it does much except give his mom a heart attack I I think your explanation of the decision-making process is a I totally agree with it if, if you are if there is a need to 
push, as you say, push the story forward and get to the next chapter or the next part of this. Like you said, if it was malicious and we need to determine if somebody was doing something illegal or in a, you know inappropriate or what you know against the, the rules of football or whatever, I, I'm with you. Then you can maybe throw it up there a few more times. I think if it's just gruesome, I think you need to show it once. Mm-hmm. I think you all. I think you have to show almost every replay once. I think you should show. I think you should show the guy streaking through the field naked, you know, on television. But I know why they don't do that, right? Like I know that why they don't because they don't want to encourage people to do that. I think you should show it one time. After that, I think it should be up to. And I know things are moving fast, right? It's bang, bang, bang. You're in the middle of a huge broadcast, like it's a huge deal, but. You know, once you show it a second time, you're done after that. If it doesn't do anything to to tell the story of the game or the play or what the person is going through, like I don't I don't mind you showing them lying on the field and like the medical people coming over to attend to them because that's part of the story, right? Like you're mm-hmm. then there's a there's a response to the injury that's yes. part of the story, right? It's the next chapter. I, you don't need to continually show a person's lower fibula flopping around and pointing in the wrong direction. More no. than like once, maybe twice. After that, you're done. Especially things that are that bad where you're not only season, potentially college career, not saying he's never going to play again, but when you play injuries like that that are that bad, I mean, this yeah. is this has long-term repercussions for this kid. This isn't just, oh, let's watch it because it's gross. Yeah. This is like, yep. this kid may never be the same. Let's pay a little bit of respect to that factor. Yeah, just something it- to think about as you're watching games that maybe or, we or, didn't- in- or anything. I think it's been a... I think shock value, it bleeds, it leads, has always been a part of the media. But I think it's gotten worse in the last 20 years. Um, uh, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, Kevin Ware. Yeah, no question. So let, let's move on from Florida yeah, and Georgia. Good. A lot of stuff there. Again, we'll talk with Cecil Hurt and Scott Rabelais covering both LSU and Alabama. But Texas A&M, and Texas A&M cares deeply about what, what Alabama does. Because if Alabama loses a game somewhere along the way and then gets a game canceled... In theory, Texas A&M could have a better winning percentage than Alabama in the division, even though they lost to them. So, of course, Texas A&M cares. They dominate South Carolina in incredibly impressive fashion. Very, very balanced on both offense and defense. The reason we don't have a – I don't have, I don't know about you, Aaron. I don't have a lot to say about A&M other than keep doing it. Keep keep showing us that, you gotta, that you're doing what you're doing. I, I think the bigger story with A&M is, is more about if Alabama doesn't play enough games or whatever – and Notre Dame beating Clemson. I think those are bigger stories for Texas A&M than what you did on the field on Saturday against South Carolina. Before I talk about Texas A&M, do you really, genuinely, in your heart of hearts, think that we get to that last week and they don't just push it back and add one more week of television revenue? Because (sighs) let's be honest with ourselves. We can talk about that, but I don't think that's going to happen because there's too much money involved. I, I mean, in my heart of hearts, I want the decision to be made based on putting the right teams into the SEC championship game. Meaning, when I say the right teams, I mean the team that won the division outright, fair and square. Okay, okay, okay. Like, now, now here's the good news. There is, a, there is a chance that Alabama and Florida could both clinch their divisions way before the December 12th slot, which is where the Alabama-LSU game would be pushed, but it cannot be because the Florida-LSU game has already been pushed to that week. Yes. There's also a chance you don't need the game at all. If Alabama just wins every game, it doesn't matter. But if I'm A&M, the fact that Notre Dame beat Clemson means that Notre Dame is now a more viable playoff team, which means that you now have a contender to take that slot from you, Texas A&M, and it means that 
the only hope you really have is that if but Alabama somehow has to beat Auburn to win the West because A&M has played an extra game. Now, A&M's dealing with their own COVID stuff this week anyway. So God knows when, how many games they're going to play. Now, I have some theories on Tennessee getting COVID. A couple theories. Number one, you have to actually show up to play the game to be exposed. So that's number one for Tennessee. Wait. Yeah, you, have to, you actually have to show up to play the game to get to, for it to be an exposure, right? You have to be in close contact with Arkansas. Okay. And Tennessee didn't actually play that football game. It was just Arkansas. Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. Come on, man. Uh, I thought that was funny. And then number two, we, all, we both know that COVID is airborne, and therefore Tennessee has 0% chance of catching it. Damn. <laughs> so, have so, you been saving that? So two reasons why Tennessee is totally in the clear on COVID. They didn't show up, so they can't be exposed. And number two, it's airborne, so. What do you, you think of that? Be honest. If I have to repeat it twice, it's probably not great, but I think it's pretty damn funny. It's not your worst by any means. <laughs> Thank, thanks, I think. No, that, that was good. I just anyway, A&M. A&M. Okay. Okay. A&M chances of getting into the playoff. Go. <laughs> so when you start looking at the big puzzle of the playoff, it's now tougher for Texas A&M and Florida, frankly. If you lose to Alabama, the Notre Dame win takes a chance at a second SEC team getting into the playoff, makes it more difficult. I think it's likely that although Texas A&M could absolutely compete if they made it to the playoff, I have no doubt about that. I do not think they will be playing in it. I think it's just going to be one SEC team. I, I think that's fair. But but again, Notre Dame's win is what's doing that. Correct. If Notre also, Dame doesn't win that game, they're not in the playoff conversation, which means a 9-1 A&M could be. Right, and, the pack, yeah, and, what, and what you mentioned too, the Pac-12 you know, only having those eight games under their belt. Who knows what the whole puzzle is going to look like. It is a puzzle. It is a big, huge game of Tetris, and it might just all come crashing down. But I think Notre Dame will will be sitting in that fourth spot. Well, I mean, they have to play Clemson again, probably. So, yeah. again, I don't know. it's all about percentage chances here and the increase and the decrease of that. And when Notre Dame won that game on Saturday night, it decreased the chances of a second SEC team getting in. So that's why it matters to, to SEC fans. If you're a Florida fan and your only losses are to A&M on the road by a couple of points and to Alabama, you feel like you belong in the playoff. But not with two losses, not if Notre Dame's sitting there with at, at 10-1 and one with a win over Clemson. So, I, I, you know, that Notre Dame win is much bigger for SEC teams than I think anybody thinks, in my opinion. It's true. I knew it was big, but you're you harping on it is, yeah, I'm harping is really um, – no, but it's driving the point home because you're right. It – it, it changes, it, even though it's just one game, it really could change the, tra- the trajectory of the rest of this year for a lot of teams, especially SEC teams. So do you want to go Tennessee negative? I think we already did that a little bit. Or do you want to do Arkansas positive before we move on to a few other questions I have? I know you. that you know my answer to this. You may not, actually. I want to go Arkansas positive. Okay, there you go. What you got for the good people out there? So... Can we talk about Pittman versus Pruitt? Yeah. I guess I can't even (laughs) go in both then. (laughs) We, you know, the difference, (laughs) Braden Braden and I were kind of discussing, you know, in the last couple of days, just what the difference really is between these two rebuilds uh, in terms of Tennessee and Arkansas and the difference between, you know, what Pittman's been able to do and what Jeremy Pruitt has or has not been able to do. Um, and we've talked about recruiting quite a bit because, you know, as a Tennessee fan, um, people are looking at it like, why can't we get this right? Why can't we put it together? Why don't we have a viable quarterback? Um, Sam Pittman has seemed to 
you know, Felipe Franks is doing really well in their system. Um, and, you know, even after having a little bit of a harder run at Florida, the and just in general, the consistency of the Arkansas program is just working. And I don't think there are as many mistakes being made um, or unreasonable requests being made from a coaching staff um, at Arkansas as there are at Tennessee. And you heard even if you listen to Pruitt's press conference, he even mentioned several times, although I don't know if he meant to, but play calling kept coming up in a bunch of different ways in that press conference. And a lot of it came back to, you know, we're putting these kids in a position that doesn't really allow for success. Mm. Um, Whose fault is that? That's that's a coaching problem. Mm. Um, uh, look, you can boil this conversation down pretty quickly. What do Arkansas fans feel about their head coach right now? They love him. What do Tennessee fans feel about their coach right now? They do not love him. There you go. Yeah. And a couple other pieces of context. Sam Pittman took over a team that was 0 for 20. Jeremy Pruitt took over a team that did have a bad year. They were 0-8, I believe, in the conference under Butch Jones in his final season. But the, the, the two years prior to that, they won nine games. And that was three years ago. Sam Pittman's was three months ago. So I, I don't think it's more complicated than that. And it, frankly, every question – like, I don't even have nuanced questions about Tennessee. I, I don't want to be like, oh, should you have thrown the ball with Harrison Bailey on fourth and four? Should you have kicked the, the, the field goal? Like – those aren't even worth my time anymore. It is, wh- why is there? Why is the quarterback a problem on this roster? That's Jeremy Pruitt's fault. Why is the play calling a question on this roster? That's Jeremy Pruitt's fault. Why is the defense not developed and not able to get stops on the front seven with a defensive coach who's known for developing defensive players? That's Jeremy Pruitt's fault. They've lost four straight games. That's Jeremy Pruitt's fault. The, 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 these are big picture things, yeah. right? Like, it's on you, dude. It's, it's all the way down to... Arkansas is playing opportunistic football. They're putting themselves in situations where they're uh, opportunistic scoring. They're capitalizing on opportunistic fourth and one situations. Tennessee has fundamental issues to the point where they don't even get in situations where they can or can't oper- like be in an opportunistic situation because they don't even have the opportunity to begin with. You've been embarrassed four straight games. You want to play A&M right now? I'm oh, yeah. You're piggybacking just off your... riffing. Yeah, I'm riffing. Yeah. Yes. Remember? I learned yes. that. There you go. <laughs> Vamping. Vamp. Oh, dang it. <laughs> T- Tennessee. And here's the other thing. Like, uh, play Harrison Bailey at this point. It doesn't look like Jared Garantano is healthy. He's clearly the best player on the, on the, uh, uh, at that position on the roster, which is a problem in and of itself. But again, if you're Tennessee, Harrison Bailey may be the answer moving forward. And you have to give him reps. I don't... You know me. We talked about this. I don't know five, six episodes ago with with Mitch Light when he came on the show, and that was if you're if you're a true freshman and you get mentally broken because you struggle and and you get benched, then you don't belong starting in the SEC. So throw him out there. Now I don't want him physically destroyed. That's what I was going to ask you next. That's no. You can 100 percent physically be broken as a freshman in the SEC. Ken Seals and and Harrison Bailey and you you, you pick a guy. You can go out there as a freshman and get physically destroyed. Mentally though. The old line is, oh, well, you don't want his confidence broken. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, d- dude, if your confidence is shaken because of one bad game, you don't belong starting quarterback in the SEC. We've talked about this, though, so. because it's a it's a position that no other person on that team is in. 
spotlight wise if you're not in it people notice you have different receivers in you have play running back on certain plays no one even notices which linemen unless you have an astute attention to like pay to yeah, give that yeah. your energy right um it's different i i will make an i will make a argument for quarterback confidence as a very important intangible factor and actually yeah i think it is too it, if it's broken by one game you are not deserving of starting in the sec if you are not that mentally yeah, tough, by, i think it's incredibly important i think you i'm sorry like if you go out there and you throw a couple of bad passes and then you get benched like if that ruins your mental psyche then i'm sorry you're soft you're not you're not phys, you're not mentally tough enough to be the starting quarterback in the yeah SEC. but it's like you're it's like you're supposed to be the leader play caller like it's your team it's like oh it's it's jared garantano's team like it's right. his offense. He looks broken too, by the way. Well, yeah, I mean, but I that, was, that was probably a bad example to use. But no, but the you... guy who did, the guy who can do all those things you're talking about is the guy who's mentally tough. Yeah, he's the guy who can do all that, right? Like, I, I like Ken Seals at Vanderbilt. I think he's a good looking player. Like, he looks mentally like he's capable of do. I'm worried about him physically in in his first year, but mentally he doesn't look like like okay. You went out there and you got pounded a couple of games. Guess what? That's that's what happens in the SEC. Sometimes you're gonna get beat, and you got to come back the next week and brush it off and forget about it. I will say that there are guys that have different ability to do that. I mean, he he does I seem agree. he he seems to be able to get back to the middle easier. However, I will never be in favor of ripping your quarterback out in the first half of game one of the season. I I totally unnecessarily unnecessarily destruct unnecessary destruction of your quarterback's life. I feel like you're talking about Georgia now at this point. No, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, I there's I don't know what else to say about. Okay. I don't know what else to say about Tennessee. I, to me, it's Harrison Bailey time. It it is like Garantano's not healthy right now. Like, this is my point that I'm making about Harrison Bailey. I, I don't care if you throw interceptions. Yeah, it's a, a rep is a rep is a rep. Any rep in the SEC is a good rep. Is my point. And if you throw a bunch of interceptions, okay, that sucks. But like that should not destroy you for your entire career. You should learn from it. And then be better next year because of it. So right now, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm saying, why the hell not are we playing Harrison Bailey? Let's see what he's got. And this will make him better next year. Also, he's probably looking at it like, we're already bad. So, I mean, if I'm bad, then we'll just still be bad. <laughs> you know? It's not, not like you're ruining. Enough. You're not, like, destroying yeah. an empire. Otherwise. You're just trying to help. <laughs> okay. Do you want to keep going on this? or are No, you ready we're good. To... Yeah, I just. Mississippi State won. They did. They won a football game. You had just. Yep. Is Vanderbilt going to win a football game this year? That's my question. I don't think so. The first ever 0-10 team in SEC history. No. Yeah. It's sad, um, it? It's, well, you don't, it doesn't matter if you're better than Vanderbilt looks right now or not. I would be, actually tried to find this. I don't know the last time someone turned the ball over five times and the whoever they're playing turned the ball over zero times and that team won. I would love to see... Yeah, that's crazy. When that was. I, I bet it was... Maybe never. Maybe never. Yeah, it's hard to win a football Can't game. Can't do that. It's hard to win a football game 0-5 on the turnover margin. You don't really have to go past that because no matter what you do, if you do that, you're not going to win. No. <laughs> no, you're not. So... Yeah, that's kind of it. That's all you need. That's all you need. It, here's So this this will tie in to my question. That I have not told you that I was going to ask you. I wanted Yikes. you to know this. I wanted you to feel this. Because South Carolina, Will Muschamp, hot seat. Derek Mason, Vanderbilt hot seat maybe even Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee a little bit of hot seat talk I don't think that's true uh, because guess what Tennessee fans this is what you wanted 
you wanted Philip Fulmer to stage a coup and to take over with zero experience and hire a coach with zero head coaching experience. This is what you wanted because he sounds like you, I, and you did it, and now you're stuck with him. So whatever, Tennessee fans, but could be some hot seat talk there. End of rant. There's a few teams that could be in the market for a head coach, potentially. If you are an athletic director and you are making a million dollars a year, let's say, give or take, right? Are you putting your million-dollar job on the line to hire Hugh Freeze, (laughs) who is crushing people at Liberty right now and is going to get a big job in the Power Five ranks either this year or, or, or next year, probably this year? If you are South Carolina, if you are Vanderbilt, if you are, and obviously they have very different <laughs> sets of uh, priorities, let's call yes, it. Yes, they do. Um, if you're in charge, are you are you putting that job on the line for Hugh Freeze? No, absolutely not. What if he wins you games? Well, I think that if you are the athletic director at the University of Miami or maybe Florida State... <laughs> You have to kind of sort of not or give South Carolina. You have to like not give every shit to hire Hugh Freeze. Like if you care You're going to have to eat some you're going to have to deal with some really bad PR. If you care 100% about the integrity of your pro, of your program and your mm. potential job, you do not hire Hugh Freeze. What and if, actually what if he's you all, my, boat, all my What if you win a boatload of games? <laughs> I, I asked a, I, well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say I think I don't think fans care. Like, if I was a fan of South Carolina, I would say, hell yes, go get that asshole right now, bring him down here, and recruit against South, uh, recruit against Clemson, the way he recruited against Alabama and Auburn in the West. If I'm a fan, I'm saying, I don't give a shit. I don't care who you text. I don't care what you do in your personal life. That's between you and your wife. Let's go get this guy, and let's win games, and let's start competing with Clemson again. I'm the, If I'm the athletic director, and it's my <laughs> million-dollar paycheck, uh, I might be more with you. That's a perfect sound to describe it. Kind of want. I mean, to, you but... you hold your nose and hire Hugh Freeze. That's what you do. I, what to me, the, Hugh Freeze's <laughs> being Hugh Freeze says more about not necessarily. You're like, oh, I don't care about that one thing that he did, even though it's kind of slimy and gross. It's a lot of things. But you have to realize that, like, the way in which he did it was not smart. So, like, can't you expect, like, maybe him to trip up along the way in another way, even if you don't care about that past offense, like, yeah. It, it's there is no my all my best guy friends played for him in high school and I asked him about him the other day I'm like what is Hugh Freeze like in a high school practice and I didn't get anything juicy I wanted them to say like something funny or like ridiculous like no he's just really focused and has like kind of a holier than thou attitude and like now we know oh, that that's oh. not really <laughs> true anymore he's in the perfect place then at Liberty but University I, yeah no no I'm not I'm not hiring him if I'm an athletic director but Maybe if someone I'm, in Southern Florida. <laughs> if I'm Ray Tanner and I'm running South Carolina's program, I don't put my job on the line. But if I'm a fan, you bet your ass I want to go get Hugh Freeze. He's he's a hell of a coach. And what's interesting he is, is he's not like um, – and I heard a, an interview recently with him. He, he is not this – and he admitted it. He was like, I don't – I'm not a tactician expert who works with my quarterback's footwork and his arm slot and all that stuff. He's like, I know what I want the play to look like. I hire people that make that happen. So really he is the recruiter. I mean, that's what he is. Like, he's the, the CEO type. That's the kind of thing that he is. Self, self you know, identified. So, I, I don't... <laughs> you, you are going to get a lot of blowback when you hire him. You're going to get a lot of PR dirt on you. You're going to have to, you know, take a shower every night, like, after talking to him. But, like, 
if the Duke can recruit against Clemson and win football games, and you're a South Carolina fan, you could do a lot worse. You'll be a popular AD for a while. Like, I would not hire Lane Kiffin if I was an AD. But as if I'm a fan, I want Lane Kiffin. Does that make sense? As a media member, I want Lane Kiffin. I want Hugh Freeze in the SEC as a podcast host. 100%. But, but I'm not going to put my job on the line for him. Nope. <laughs> Neither am I. All right. You did not know I was going to ask you that question. so I, wanted, I did not. I, I wanted to bring that one up organically, as they say. Is that what you thought I would say? Uh, that's... I think that's probably about right. I yeah. think that's probably where I thought you would go with that. Week number 11, I guess, right? We'll, we'll, um, I think Arkansas at Florida is very interesting. Felipe Franks back in the swamp. Of course, you've already mentioned sort of his career there at Florida. Do you give Arkansas any chance here? I think they're, you know, Barry Odom is now the acting coach. You know, really good defensive mind against that Florida Gator offense. I, you know, maybe it could be interesting. I would not count them out, not only because I like what Arkansas is doing. I, I mean, obviously playing it away is going to be – you know, make it tougher. But for for people wondering, look, Sam Pittman, Bear, Sam Pittman being out and talking about Barry Odom, the in these days leading up to the game, it will look almost not different at all to the players in terms of missing Sam Pittman. And that's not. I love Sam Pittman. It sounds a little bit like a knock on Sam Pittman. Well, it's not because <laughs> no, I know. He's just he's, he's built the machine a little bit. Yeah. Well, in practice, if like if you've been to a college football practice, they're very well organized. They're timed out to the second um, in a very, very distinct structure. And the head coach kind of buzzes around and watches everything. But the guys that are on the ground in your face, yelling at you, pointing where to go in the middle of the play, those are your that's that's going to be that's what Barry Odom already does every single practice. He has a much more much more of a presence yeah. um, than Sam Pittman does. And so t- until Saturday, it really won't look different, except in the sense that someone else is going to need to run the clock, which is what he said he's going to have an equipment guy do. Here's my argument is that everyone that works in a football program, especially in the SEC, d- wanted to be in it so bad. They know everything. Everybody knows and, and clock everything. Ma- and clock management is black and white. Yeah. To, to me, it, there's not a lot of gray area on clock management. Like, I think in a yes, and I, I but I do think there's a lot of people in a in an at a football department that might not have the most impressive title to an outsider, like grad assistant right, right. that could, knows literally everything. Yeah, that's but, true. But um, all the interns for Alabama are like former head coaches. <laughs> yeah. Did well? Did you see what Sam Pittman said in his uh, Zoom press conference, which was hilarious, by the way, because his wife's like coming in, the doors chiming, the dogs barking. <laughs> I didn't see and that. And he's they're like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm only an hour day day hour number five of COVID, and I'm already bored. I'll let you know what I'm doing later." <laughs> but little this, offensive line coaches. Someone said, "Aren't you gonna um? Aren't you gonna like zoom in, like live zoom in to practice so that you can still run it?" He started laughing, and he was like. Because they said Saban's doing that. He started laughing. He's like, no, that's why I hired a good staff. Like, I'm not going to live zoom into practice and tell everybody yeah. what to do from the screen. Yeah. So I that's just Sam. That's the program in general, though. They have a lot of trust in who they have and who's running it. And he can kind of hand it over with maybe a little less trouble than some people that are more micromanaging than him. <laughs> I think Arkansas gives Florida a scare in the first half. And then I think Florida scores too many points in the second half that that's my quick assessment of yeah the fair Arkansas. i didn't really Arkansas answer your florida. question no it's okay you had very good stories though um i was enthralled florida is a good I, word for you enthralled yeah, i do know that thank you florida will come away with it because i think they're going to end up putting up more points on the board but i do not think it will be a blowout 
Georgia, Missouri, I, you know, any other year, I would say Georgia's too good. The defense is too good. They're, they're going to handle their business in this game, rebound, and Stetson Bennett will make the right reads and they'll run the football and blah, 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 blah. But there, there's a chance that Georgia just quits. There's a chance that now that they've gotten Florida out of the way and they, they played the two best teams arguably in the league and failed fairly miserably on in both of them, Missouri is good enough to take advantage of you if you're not paying attention. So I, I, I'm actually mildly interested in this game because I think Georgia – I want to see where Georgia's head is at in this game, if that makes sense. Like if they don't have their most competitive wheels turning because they think in their head that they're better than Missouri? I mean, well, I, no, Are you quitting on the season? Like I, it, I let, let down whatever, you know, whatever cliche you want to use. damn competitive to just quit okay. on the season. I think maybe when you're sitting in your dorm room on Monday and thinking about going to practice and you don't feel like it because you got your, you know, you lost to Florida. But when you get on the field and you're all hyped up, you it's it's a moment to moment competitiveness. It's not like a, I agree with you that, that that that's very true across the board. I guess my my point is, is that if. Missouri is good enough that if you are only five or eight or ten percent off, right, Missouri can beat you. So I don't think you have to be fifty fifty percent off. That's or, fair. You know what I mean? Like it's a hard it's hard to kind of explain. No, I know what you mean. It's such a high level game in the SEC that if you are just mildly distracted, yes, you can get beat. And and I guess that's what I'm saying is if if you're just giving it ninety two percent, which is still a lot of percent. Missouri's good enough to beat you. And so I'm, I want to see how, like, if Georgia is good enough to come in and whip that ass. And if Georgia really is mentally tough, super focused, fired up and pissed off about what happened last week, then Georgia will come in here and they will destroy Missouri. But if they're not, Missouri's good enough to beat you, I guess is what I'm... So I want to see what Kirby's motivational skills are this week, if that makes sense. Yeah, you got to show up like you're playing Alabama or Florida or anyone in between and right. and not like this is would normally be a check on your list of wins. All right, that just about covers week 11. Not a ton of action with all of the games that have been canceled, of course, but that's not going to stop us from talking LSU and Alabama because obviously LSU having a really, really bad season. So you're going to hear from Scott Rabelais coming up in just a few minutes of the Baton Rouge Advocate as he's going to explain a little bit about the dynamic between LSU fans and Coach O, what LSU could look like moving forward in the future. But coming up right now on the podcast, we are going to be joined by Cecil Hurt of the Tuscaloosa News, who, of course, has been covering Alabama and the SEC since literally, I think, the year I was born, almost 40 years ago. And again, just like with Scott, we're going to talk about Alabama big picture, their matchup with potentially Florida, what happens at the end of the season, how good is the defense, why is the offense maintained its continuity, all that good stuff. So you're going to get a lot from both Scott Rabelais and Cecil Hurt. So without further ado, my conversation with the Tuscaloosa News' Cecil Hurt. Cecil, first of all, thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time. Now that the LSU-Alabama game has been canceled, what do you think the end of the season is going to look like as we try to figure out if they play this game and what do the records all look like at the end of the year? The SEC is going to have to probably make some TBA determinations the way that the schedule is falling out. Now it's it's going to be a little bit difficult, I think, um, because you can't quite mathematically eliminate Texas A&M unless Alabama – Alabama is – right now, if Alabama wins out, it doesn't make any difference. If, if, if they don't play, they beat Kentucky, they beat Auburn, they beat Arkansas – 
and they're nine and zero in the league and have clinched the West. I don't see any sense in making them play on the twelfth. Same thing goes for Florida. If Florida wins out, has clinched the East. I don't see why they'd necessarily need to play LSU either. Now, if if a game with LSU affects somebody's tiebreaker situation, Texas A&M also wins out, Auburn upsets Alabama, then Alabama need to play an equal number of games. Otherwise, you'd have the bizarre situation of, of trying to argue that eight and one Alabama would win the league over would win the division over nine and one Texas A&M, even though Alabama did beat Texas A&M head to head. So that's something that SEC is going to have to going to have to consider. And you can't know entirely for sure, probably certainly until Thanksgiving, certainly until the Alabama Auburn game and maybe the week after that, because you, you have to, you know, if you're Texas A&M, you're saying, well, they've got to play Arkansas and see how they do against Arkansas and mm-hmm. so forth. So, so a lot of factors at play. I, I think that they, if Alabama could win the next three games, then I, I don't see what the point of making a worrying about the makeup yeah. game for a nine and O team is same thing's true for Florida. If Florida wins their remaining games, they've got a one game lead on Georgia plus a tie break. I, I don't see the need to make Florida play that game. You have seen essentially everything in college football. <laughs> and my question to you is, and I don't even really know how to ask it, but you know, Greg Sankey's out there trying to tell us about the positivity rates. And, and, I, and I get it that there's, a, there's mostly good people trying to do mostly the right things. But we also know this is college football. How concerned sure. are you with the transparency of the game itself, kind of in general, not just even COVID-related, but just in general? How concerned are you personally about the transparency issues in college football? I think it could always be more transparent. We've tried to get as much information from Alabama as we could. They're not particularly forthcoming I would I would venture to say that (laughs) LSU's been a little bit more forthcoming although we don't know their precise numbers this week probably the one team in the league that's just been straight up this is our numbers this is what's going on has been Missouri and everybody else has as whether it's been Texas A&M Florida I, I, I don't think anybody's covered anything I don't first I don't think anybody's lied about their COVID situation and put at-risk kids or infectious kids out on the field I don't think that's happened so so the conspiracy doesn't run that deep but it, it would help us to to have more transparency and to know the numbers at, at all the school and to have a uniform policy and if Missouri can do it everybody can do it let's glance at Alabama sort of relative to Alabama which is how I always have to evaluate them now um you know you, you lose to uh, the weapons are all there. The offensive line is approaching status of best of the Nick Saban era. Those kinds of things are being tossed around on offense. You, you lose a generational talent like Tua and the offense is, is right there. Where is it? It can't just be dudes. Like the dudes are great. We know the athletes are great, but the coordinator keeps changing this year. It didn't. Is it just stability? Sort of what are the factors for you that have allowed this offense to maintain such a ridiculous pace after losing all of that weaponry last year? Well, it, it is a combination. I think even, even when you make a transition from Lane to, to Sark, that, that's really not a big, big transition. I mean, they're different guys. Lane calls a game differently, but same sort of philosophy. They came up together and 
same sort of philosophy. And so, so they've been pretty consistent and whether it's been Mike Loxley or, or whoever's had the title, um, you know, Sarkeesian's been involved in that offense. So there's not dramatic, drastic turnover like you've seen at LSU this year. They recruit to a certain style when Nick felt like the rules of college football mandated a change in that style. He started recruiting differently. You know, they've gone from having, and this isn't a knock on anybody. You know, these are guys who've won national championships, but uh, you could have Greg McElroy at quarterback. You could have AJ, who's tremendous quarterback, really, you know, Heisman Trophy runner-up, but but not a guy that you say, oh, man, he's a number one draft choice. He's a, he's that kind of guy. To, to Mac, you know, who's in some ways similar, but they also, you know, they recruit the the best guy. You know, Najee's the number one running back in the country. Those offensive linemen, you start talking about, you know, some of them have developed. Landon Dickerson was a transfer from FSU, but, you know, Evan Neal, Alex Leatherwood, uh, th- those aren't guys that are surprising anybody <laughs> by being really good. So Devontae's better than people thought he would be and and probably the best, certainly the most productive receiver. I don't know that he'll be the first receiver because of his size taken in the draft. But uh, and when they had when they had Waddle as well, it was it was unfair. And Mechie's really good. So so it, it to some extent it is guys, but it's also with a head coach that's that's a been in place that long and B really Nick's not Nick's not dumb Nick's not going to try and run off a guy to show how tough he is you know but if you come to Alabama if you're a recruit offensive or defensive but offensive recruit that comes to Alabama you know how they're going to play you know what the deal is you can be Trey Sanders or or Roydell Williams and you're going to have to wait your turn at running back You, you know that if you're good enough at receiver you're going to play you know if you're five-star offensive lineman you're gonna have to wait your turn and he doesn't so he doesn't get a lot of feedback he doesn't have to deal yeah I think for instance Tennessee's trying to get to that point but I don't think they're at that point yet and so I think Jeremy's had to to deal with personalities and deal with guys and why am I not getting playing time and you know what what about this and what about that which at the end of the day Nick doesn't have to deal with you know, Recruit, I mean, if you, recruiting daddies. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, he's going to try and accommodate guys and he's not going to run too off. You know, that's not right. what I'm saying, but at the same time, everybody knows that there's a line where he can just say, look, if it's that hard on you, if that's bad, if it's that bad for you, then maybe you ought to look at something else yeah. because I'm still going to be here. We're still going <laughs> to win games. Yeah. You know, I, I can get another guy may not be as good as you, but, there's a, I like to call it, uh, you know, there's a migraine line for Nick. And <laughs> when it gets to be too much of a headache, he just doesn't have to do it and cross the migraine line. He yeah. just doesn't have to do that. Yep. Go, go sit on a boat and put on Hotel California and you're good to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and now, about. you know, A, that takes a lot of self-confidence. And B, you've got to be smart about how you manage it. You, you, again, you don't want to be the tyrant who, who nobody wants to play for. Uh, you just want to have a line. Everything up to that line, you work with them, you, you work with the players, you try and make sure everybody understands what's going on. But you don't have to get pushed past that line. Yep. Because you're Nick Saban. Yep, and you earn it. There's no question about yeah. that. Yeah, uh, five national champions. Coach Bryan had the same thing. Right. You, you get that fifth national championship and, you know, there, there you are. 
Let's look at the defense then, because some of this is, I think, 2020 has a lot, because everyone basically just ran skeleton drills for like eight months straight. So, of course, the offenses are a little bit ahead of the defenses. I don't think you can practice, you know, standing up a guard, shedding him and making a tackle in the open field without actually practicing it. So I think some of it's 2020, some of it's the rules in the game, some of it may be some injuries. But let's look at it through the lens of the Florida Gators offense, which now has done the same thing to Georgia that Alabama has done. Right. It looks like it's the best scheme amongst the best schemes in America, maybe the best quarterback in the SEC right there with Matt Jones. Through that lens of a potential matchup with Florida, how do you evaluate this Alabama defense and what they would do in that matchup relative to it? Again, putting the cart way before the horse here in an SEC. Right, right. You're, You're asking me something that I've got five more weeks to think about. Of course. But I think that Alabama's defense is getting better. You know, Trask has, has had a, a great year. Pitts, who, who I hope bounces back from, from his concussion, um, is a huge matchup problem for everybody. Uh, they've got guys who can run the ball. So, And, and you're not going to go in with the mindset that you're going to shut Florida out. You're going to go in the mindset that you're not going to let them get 60 or, or 50. But you, you play that if you can – hold them to 28, the way A&M beat them. You can beat them 31-28 if you play well enough offensively. Uh, so it would be – I think you would look at the Texas A&M-Florida game and take some things away from that and try to defend them uh, again as best you can and be sound in the secondary and get enough – these are things that sound like, oh, this is specific to you. This is true in every game. If you can get some pressure on Trask, then you're helping yourself. They've got guys who are developing – um, into pretty decent pass rushers. They're never going to lead the league in sacks. That's not the way they play defense. But Will Anderson, Barmore, you know, they're getting some guys. They're not probably, nor could you be, the kind of defensive lines that, that they had when they had Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Sean Robinson and Deshaun Hand and you know, that level of talent, rolling guys in eight or nine deep. Uh, you just don't recruit that many defensive linemen anymore very easily. Nor do you play that way because nobody right. – used to be that, that LSU would play you that way. Even they don't play that way anymore where they line up and they're going to they're gonna try and knock guys off the ball. They, they do some of that. They're physical enough. But it's, that's not the – it's not the 9-6 to six game, 2011. So linebackers in space, secondary do a good job. Put Sertan on the best receiver and go from there, try to get some pressure on Trask. In your opinion, how does, how does Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama shake out right now on, on paper? Because that's where the games are being played, of course. Sure. Um, probably similar. I had not seen Ohio State, but I, I've seen some results. I know Justin Fields has been good. I don't know that they have or will play anybody that you can even compare to Georgia or Texas A&M at this point. They haven't, certainly. Uh, Penn State, I, I don't know. I can't answer that. But they're good. I'm not going to sit here and say Ohio State's not good. So I, I don't know how the. I mean, when when, when your your big championship game or your big game is going to be Ohio State Indiana, I don't know how you <laughs> make a judgment. And that's no knock against Indiana, who's done nice things. But or Northwestern, if your championship, what if your championships game is Ohio State Northwestern? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but would would they be a dangerous team to play in a playoff? Sure, absolutely. They got pieces everywhere Clemson I thought you you saw their strengths and their weaknesses against Notre Dame I I, I have not thought even though they've won two titles and I I give 
full credit to them, and they dominated Alabama the last time they met in California. I don't know that they're really as deep talent-wise as Alabama and Ohio State are. They, they didn't look it to me against Clemson. They got some great guys. But, you know, I, I think when they lose a Justin Ross, it hurts them. Yeah. Uh, when, when they, you know, their, their quarterbacks are excellent. Both of them are excellent. But, but I think they're also playing some guys that might be playing a lot at Alabama and Ohio State and might not. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. hundred percent. That's, that's how they look to me. And Notre Dame's the same. I, I do think in a rematch in Charlotte, Clemson would be a two touchdown favorite. With the, with the best player in America. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah if Trevor's that, that matters. <laughs> yeah, it does. It although, although I thought DJ was fine. I, yeah. I didn't think that game came down to poor quarterbacking on Clemson's part. No, it, it did not. See, so always a pleasure, man. We do appreciate you. Sure. Uh, have, have fun on the beat this week. <laughs> and, and, uh, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. Cecil Hurt there from the Tuscaloosa News. Want to say special thanks to Cecil for joining us. Always a pleasure talking to that guy. He has seen basically everything in his time covering the SEC and gives us a really good perspective on the Alabama side of things. Again, pretending like there's an LSU-Alabama game this week. Let's now switch sides and take a look at LSU, what they're going to do defensively, and all kinds of nonsense that's going on with this roster and this team as Coach O rebuilds following the national championship. Here is my conversation with the Baton Rouge Advocates, Scott Rabelais. All right, Scott, it's been an interesting week for the LSU Tigers. Interesting season for the LSU Tigers, frankly. Give me a, give everybody out there in the SEC a sense of how are LSU fans viewing what they've seen on the field so far through just a, a few games? Well, obviously, you know, th- there was a lot of love for Coach O and the program, you know, after last year, which is a perfect season. This everybody, about everything went, went right. You know, you bring in Joe Burrow and Joe Brady, and it's this, this perfect mixture, and you have – maybe the best season in college football history. And I don't think anyone realistically expected them to be a national championship contender this year after losing all those guys to the NFL and Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator left, but they didn't expect the defense to be this bad. I think there were more concerns about the offense really going into the year, especially after Chase opted out and the, the offense uh, until the Auburn game really had the problem. I mean, it's been, it's been the defense that has just been uh, dreadful. So I think people have, are, um, Hey, yeah, they'll go eight and two this year or something like that, you know, that, and, and they got some favors from the SEC when they added the Vanderbilt, Missouri to the schedule. It looks like these are games and Missouri is supposed to be at home. You know, so they look like these were games where you're going to you know, take advantage of you know, maybe some tough games that other teams like Texas A&M have to play, maybe a tougher schedule. And you started out, you know, one and two in those first three games with Miss State and Van, uh, Vandy and Missouri. So people right now are, are very dismayed. I, I think uh, un- unfortunately for Coach O and LSU, a lot of the, goodwill from last year has evaporated. It's, it's starting to seem like a very long time ago. You know, it was just Monday, I believe, is the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of the Alabama game last year. And how much has changed in a year, you know, since LSU had this watershed win at Alabama in this huge game with national title and Heisman implications this year. So I, I think if you real, realistically look at it, you have to say that, you know, the program's still on pretty sound footing. They're rec- still recruiting very well, uh, as you would expect after a national title. And uh, Coach Orgeron, you know, put the, all the pieces together once. You, you, you got to say he's got a chance to do it again. But, you know, fans aren't always very realistic, obviously. <laughs> and, and look, but, but bottom line, people are embarrassed, by the way. You know, LSU's, yeah, yeah. LSU's wanted this. It's a long answer. I'm, I'm sorry if it's too long. But the LSU fans wanted the better offense from the Les Miles years. You know, they got tired of the – they wanted a modernized offense, and they got that. 
But the LSU pride has always been in defense. The Chinese bandits, players like Tommy Casanova and Glenn Dorsey and Patrick Peterson and Tyran Matthew. And when, when you lose that, uh, when you don't play up to that standard, it, it's, it really uh, hurts the LSU fans' pride. You know, DBU, you know, DBU hasn't looked like DBU at all this year, and that's been a, a big source of contention for LSU fans. Personally, I think a lot of people, non-LSU fans, root for Coach O, especially in the media. I, I have long wanted to see Coach Orgeron do well. I, I think he's a good dude that deserves to do well, and I think a lot of people were rooting for him. But it doesn't mean that when, like you said, you lose all that talent, you lose your star quarterback who's a once-in-a-generation player, the architect of both the offense and the defense. Do you, do you think it was fair of, of people like me to say, I still want to see – a little bit more out of Coach O to prove it. It, it. That that may not be fair, but I still think there was, all right, show us that last year wasn't this special sauce, this one pot of gumbo that you made that was just perfect, right? Like, you know, tell us, show us that you can recreate that magic. Was Is that fair? I think, I think it is ultimately. And because you remember just what a disaster his, his years at Ole Miss were, you know, I mean, those were just terrible years and, uh, you know, I think if he won 10 games, you know, in, in, at Ole Miss or something like that, I mean, it, just, it just didn't go well at all. Then he kind of rehabbed his image a little bit when he took over for Lane Kiffin at USC that year, you know, went 6-2 and two as the interim coach, gets the LSU job because he does a good job as interim coach when Les Miles gets fired in 2016. And then, he, like you said, everything came together. And, and, and it's not just by accident. Like, he hired Joe Brady away from the Saints, and he, he convinced Joe Burrow to come to LSU on the promise of a better <laughs> offense instead of him going to Cincinnati, which was his other big option. He wanted to go to Nebraska, but they didn't, they didn't really want him. And so, uh, you know, he made those things happen. But there is the specter of flash-in-the-pan coaches. You know, the, the, the situation that comes to mind is, is Gene Chizik at Auburn with Cam Newton. I mean, this, this seems like this could be, and it's not, it's not unfair to, to ask, could this be a similar situation? And only time will tell. But, you know, we, we all know, uh, you know, two years after the uh, national championship, Gene Chizik was out at Auburn. And he's always running on that kind of thin ice. I don't I think so. he's certainly not in trouble now. I think he'd be okay next year. But, you know, you can't have more than a couple of bad years in the SEC and for, for things not to get very hot very quickly. Now, the financial situation post-COVID is, is going to be something that has to be factored in for a lot of coaches. And I think that's part of the talk with Bo Pelini and, and LSU, you know, they, if they got rid of him after this year, the defensive coordinator, they'd owe him like, you know, over you know, four and a half million dollars. Is that even feasible, you know, right now to, to be able to say, well, we're going to, this didn't work. We're going to go in a different direction. But as for Coach O, I, I think, you know, yes, he, he is very popular uh, with, with fans and, and with alumni and, and, and boosters. He's, he's one of the people. I mean, he, he, I've, always, I've written, he, he, could, he could be a guy you work on an oil rig with or a guy that you're at a crawfish boil with, as well as being the LSU coach. He's got that common touch because he, you know, he's very blue collar in that, in that South Louisiana vein. But at the same time, you got to win, and he knows what the expectations are. And he's, he's spoken many times this season about playing to an LSU standard or not playing to it, and he knows what the score is. And, uh, and so I, I think yeah, he, as much as anybody, knows that things are going to have to get better uh, you know, starting next year. You can write off this season, you know, but things are going to have to get better starting in 2021. It's funny that that's what I was going to ask you is sort of your very early prognostication. I mean, let's go Florida, Bama, and and A&M are just sort of losses, let's say. And, and then, like you said, everybody sort of looks at this season and they shrug their shoulders and they go, oh, we got that championship ring. And that was pretty fun last year. What does this – I mean, LSU's not hurting for talent. They got dudes. 
they'll, they'll be a year older and they'll have some experience through this season. It, it, where is the state of this program, you know, in the spring of next year, coaching staff and roster wise, any guesses? I think you, one guess is you have to look at, you know, Bo Pelini's status uh, as the defensive coordinator uh, going forward. I mean, uh, you know, are, are they going to show any kind of improvement over the second half of the season? Like the, you know, no offense to Auburn or any of the teams else she's played in the first half of the season, but this was the easier half of your schedule. I mean, you've got, you know, if you, if you can play them, you've got Alabama and Florida and Texas A&M left, plus a trip to Arkansas that looks much tougher than it was. And a, and a game, a home game is Ole Miss that looks much tougher than it was. So, you know, this could end up being, uh, you know, say they're going to win another game at least, but three and seven, four and six kind of season. Then you, you've lost some of that swagger and confidence. They're going to recruit well. Again, you know, they've already got commitments from like two of the top three safeties in the country. For example, at a position of need, they've got good quarterbacks coming in. They're, they're in contention for some very good, uh, you know, more five-star players. They're going to have a top five recruiting class. They're coming off of other classes that are very good. Like a lot of inexperience on this team. You know, they've had B.J. Ojolari got the start, a freshman, against uh, Auburn he was the 18th first time starter who's started a game this year so that kind of tells you the kind of things you're up against Miles Brennan had never started a game you know now you got T.J. Finley never thrown a snap you know a pass and take you know even taking a snap and being a true freshman at quarterback and and may have to finish the year you know uh, at quarterback if Brennan can't come back which is looking more pessimistic so I think all those things taken into account there are the, th- the pieces in place to bounce back next year but are you, what are you going to do a defensive coordinator? Are you going to make any more changes at offensive coordinator? You know, they brought in Scott Linehan to replace Joe Brady. Then you're going to, are you going to, I think the offense is pretty solid and I don't think he's going to make too many changes, but uh, defense uh, has to be addressed because LSU has been historically bad. Scott, always a pleasure, man. We do appreciate it. I know it's a busy day. Uh, thank you so much for your time and, and we'll talk soon. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Want to say special thanks to Scott Rabelais, of course, from the Baton Rouge Advocate, as well as Cecil Hurt from the Tuscaloosa News. It is LSU Alabama week. Aaron, it has never felt like less of an Alabama LSU week than it feels this week. It's like it opened as like a 24 point spread. It, there doesn't seem to be any level of competitive balance in this game. And now, of course, the game is canceled. It's not a pretty week in the SEC anyway. You know, any of the games, like let's hope Arkansas, Florida happens. I don't, who knows what's going on in Kentucky? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> our energy feels our energy feels lower than going into last weekend, doesn't it? Well, it just LSU Bama is the thing that you look forward to in the West. Like it's like Iron Bowl level good. It is what you look forward to, and it just doesn't have any value. There, there's a chance, and Cecil Hurt said that there's a chance that if Alabama's nine and zero at the end of the year, they just look at the LSU game and go, "We don't need to play it." That's how that's how far that game has fallen in God. one year. That that is crazy, and and when they play in Death Valley, it's like I know the best. I know. I wonder if Nick Saban, you know, is it is it way less fun to lose? I mean, to win this year, or does he just bask in it no matter what? No, I don't think. I think he. I don't I think, think he would so much either. rather win, like a nail biter. I think so too. I think he would much. He's like, I want my team to play against the best and then win. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't. What does he care if he beats Western Kentucky? And I'm not picking on Western Kentucky. I've just, you know. God, Braden. It's a random team. They beat up by a lot of points a couple years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that about does it. I don't, you know, Kentucky, what are you going to do? There's not a whole, like, again, the big games, Georgia, Missouri, Arkansas, Florida. This is where we are in 2020, Aaron. What are you doing this weekend? Yeah, let's lighten the mood a little bit. How's your your undercarriage? 
it's still still uh it's gone forever <laughs> <laughs> it's permanently parked wow that's a bad thing for an undercarriage to mm-hmm. be yeah no it's it's gone i'm still in a different vehicle might just impulsively buy one this weekend i really might do that but act- at least you're in a vehicle last week you weren't in a vehicle correct Mm-mm. i i went to pick up this car today the other broken car car number two which is yeah, not your first broken car it's your second broken car correct right and they i was not obviously i'm not in a great mood about cars like i'm not it's not affecting my life to a like to where a to point of bitterness because i have had car problems before but i don't let it affect me but when i walk in to get my car and the douchey guy at the desk tries to overcharge me because he thinks mm. that i don't know what i'm talking about mm. and adds like two extra hours of labor for something that i to figure out what was wrong with this car when i already told him what was wrong mm. that didn't really go well i was like yeah i'm not really in the mood for this discussion i'm just take that off papa, he, papa dugan should be proud uh, as a father of two daughters, I'd be proud of you. I don't like I don't like when people don't assume that I don't know what I'm yeah. doing. So he kind of backed off of it really quick. You guys are a more evolved species than us, anyway. So I wanted this to get I lighter. Ass- I just assume that all women know more than me about everything. It's probably a pretty good approach. Yep, it's got me this far. <laughs> what are you doing this weekend? <laughs> a little football on Saturday. It's about it. My weekends are basically like, let's go play with the kids outside in the morning. I'm busy from 11 a.m. Central Time. <laughs> to about bedtime for the girls uh I, i'll handle I'll, I'll go up and handle some bedtime basically i live a really really boring life why didn't you do a drunken rant this weekend uh i was close to it um i didn't last that long <laughs> Saturday. Uh, i was out mowing true story and yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was i was out mowing the lawn with the and the girls were playing in the bed of the truck literally my wife was running around the house popping bottles that's what my wife was doing we started with the champagne pretty early on Saturday. <laughs> Your no girls reason, are playing in the bed of your truck? Yeah. They love it up there. They had their little umbrellas and a box of rocks. <laughs> it was a bucket of rocks. I, um, okay. I didn't know that was a thing, but. Yeah, they love, they love playing. That makes in, sense. They love playing up there. Oh, yeah. You close the tailgate and then they can't get out. We've gone in a weird yep, direction. We're off here. We're done. All right. Uh, where can everybody follow you, Aaron? Enjoy week 11. Where can everybody follow you? Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. Twitter, at the Aaron Dugan. There you have it. Th- special thanks to Cecil Hurt from the Tuscaloosa News and Scott Rabelais as well from the Baton Rouge Advocate. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell everybody about the show. Please pass it along. We do appreciate that. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network.